I think what I've come to realize is that balance and joy, when it's done right, it actually helps performance. Kia ora everyone, that was Brad Dixon. I'm Matt Raymond. I'm Eugene Bingham. And this is Dirt Church Radio, interesting conversations with interesting runners. Dirt Church Radio. Kia ora everyone. Uh, before we start this week's episode of Dirt Church Radio, we want to address something that we've, uh, you, we've said at the start of last week's podcast. Um, Read it like we practiced and get your dog back. We've, uh, you've, Dirt Church Radio has received a... Cease and desist letter from Godsif yes. Walker Guys and Car Ultra Running's lawyers, and we'd yes. you'd we'd just like to clear up some spurious and vile misconceptions that were directed at Ultra Running, our, our zero, zero drop overlords. Embrace the spice by us. Ah, yes. You. Concerning allegations that in uh, 1951, uh, Brian Beckstead and Golden Harper harnessed. Alien technology from a race of intergalactic space Vikings to inject the midsoles of their shoes with the Viking soles. This is totally untrue. Completely spurious. We were wrong. You were wrong. We were wrong, and we agree with Ultra, our zero drop overlords, and emphatically state that this is a complete untruth, and we regret and apologize unreservedly and in perpetuity um, for any and all offence caused at our era. To be clear, Ultra Running wished to make it known that the Viking souls were in fact harnessed in 1964 and not 1951, and this happened in the Moab Desert, not in Area 51, which is in Nevada. They used privately funded necromancy with Spanish conquistador gold and not, as was stated, US government resources. So, this podcast is brought to you by Ultra, our zero drop overlords. You two are idiots. Here we are, show number six. I've got to say it. Say it. We made it. We made it. Mm. Yep. Um, show number six. So thank you again for all your support. Yep. Um, I'm a bit of a broken record on that, but we really mean it. We do mean it. We've yeah. And I think the theme of this week's show, well, I, what I've come away from it is talking to Brad Dixon, I've come away with a real feeling of gratitude and a real, and it sounds, maybe it sounds a bit woo-woo to say that, but I come away with a real feel feeling of gratitude for this community i come away with a real feeling of gratitude for you eugene and i come away with a real feeling of gratitude for brad because he put out we dug in and he uh talks about balance joy and he really epitomizes uh the concept of something that's been dear to my heart for a long time but it it's something that i kind of lost sight of recently and that's pma or positive mental attitude I came, you know, when we we did the the show with Brad the other day, uh, I came in in a bit of a funk, if I'm honest. You guys had all been out running on the weekend and I'd been stuck at work and I couldn't go running with my friends and I felt like the kid who was indoors watching his friends play ball outside and you're all sharing photos and hooting and hollering. You were there with us in spirit. Well, I was, but I was also... It's not the same. It's not the same at all. And I came to work. I came... This isn't work. This is... This is passion. I came in to, you know, to do the interview with Brad and I was, I was feeling low. 
and I was feeling, I was doubting myself, and I'm not running too much, and I'm not doing this, and I'm not doing that, and it's all going to hell in a handbasket. And within 90 seconds of uh, talking to Brad, you know, I felt better. So you can't help but be yeah, joyful. You can't to help. So but the, you know, the conversation that we recorded with Brad will, we hope, uh, give you those messages of being positive and being joyful yeah. and, and really, you know, remembering what this is about and absolutely, fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and making it, and it's, it's very interesting when you look at someone like Brad who has a, you know, he, he's a very able, he's a very talented athlete. He's a coach. He's a physio. Um, he, he runs a nutrition business or he brings in a, a, a nutrition supplement, um, enduro beat, but he's an integrated, adapted person. He, 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 his training is part of his life. He, it doesn't appear that he compartmentalizes things. Yeah, that's right. And he yeah. talked about, you know, quantity, uh, quality over quantity. And I think we can all fall into that trap sometimes. And I will stick my hand up and say, I am as guilty of that, if not more so than most people. Yeah, I had the stress going on um, when I looked at my weekly mileage and saw that I was going to be a K short of what I wanted to do. Right. And I was getting a little bit anxious about oh no should i go out and run that extra k and then you remember <laughs> what would brad do and what would brad, brad do? would not be going out running no. the extra k so thanks to brad i didn't do that so we look forward to bringing you that conversation uh, but first stuff you should know now last week we uh did a bit of a call to arms didn't we about we did about you know get involved do something get um get into helping people and or make your own culture make your own culture and we got a few people saying well give us some examples and so we found an example achilles international and talking about paying it forward talking about gratitude talking about pma all those things achilles international it's a worldwide organization whose mission is to enable people with all types of disabilities to participate in mainstream athletics promote personal achievement and enhance self-esteem and lower barriers and i know that there are several people out there in the trail running community who do donate their time, who do engage to run with these incredible athletes who, you know, might be uh, sight impaired or hearing impaired or face some other challenge that we might not. But it started in 1976. There's a New Yorker, his name is Dick Traum, uh, and he was an above-the-knee amputee, and he found himself approaching middle age, and he was feeling like he was out of shape. He joined a local YMCA, and he began running small distances at first, and then eventually several miles. Within a year, Dick became the first amputee to run the New York City Marathon. Now think about that with one leg above the knee. You've got no, you're missing an Achilles tendon, you're missing a foot and calves. Extraordinary. All those things. Yeah. So the New York City Marathon, the experiencing experience was life-changing for him and it brought a powerful sense of accomplishment and self-confidence in 1983 seeking to provide that same opportunity to other people with disabilities dick created the achilles track club which is now called achilles international and it's great that it's here in new zealand yeah absolutely doing uh, wonderful things helping people um, get out and strive for incredible goals and uh, you know running marathons and half marathons here and overseas. Yeah. 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 And they've also um, been instrumental in helping get a pilot wheelchair category confirmed for the 2018 Auckland Marathon, which is going to be incredible to watch. That is going to be incredible yeah. to watch. Yeah. So, so if you're interested, to Achilles International New Zealand is at www.achillesnewzealand.org. And I, I, for one, would love to see 
people getting out on the trails. It would be great to see, you know, yeah. the first Achilles athlete to run a trail run, uh, to run, you know, do something else like that. And I guess I'll, I'll yeah, come run Riverhead Rampage. You'll get a comp. You, I'll comp you in. There we go. No worries. There like we go. So I'll put that out there. There we you go. Just so the, get in touch. The race director of Riverhead Rampage. Yeah. Just put it on the line. Yeah. Put it on yeah. the line. All right. So um, that's stuff you should know. And for this week's uh, greatest run ever. So we ask you every week to tell us what's your greatest run ever, and which is where we want us to just. You, we want you to contact us and tell us what's your greatest run. It doesn't have to be a race. Um, you know, it's just a race that's some, a run that meant something to you. And we're getting some fantastic uh, submissions. Yeah, you guys are totally telling us yeah. what your greatest run ever. Yeah, yeah. But uh, keep them coming because we we love seeing them there. There was, uh, you know, keep them coming in on the the Gmail dirtchurchradio at gmail or on social media. At Dirt Church Radio. First one this week is from Kat Reynolds. Hey guys, firstly, I love the podcast. Well, thank you. And um, I can't tell you how long I've been hoping that a couple of Kiwis would get together and record a podcast about trail running in New Zealand as it's such a cool scene. It also helps this podcast went live while I was working while I was working in Canada. It has definitely helped the homesickness. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Welcome. Um I've had so many great runs all over New Zealand, but my greatest run ever has to be the 2014 Coast to Coast Mountain Run. Before this race, the furthest I'd ever run was the 21 kilometres of the relatively tame Auckland Half Marathon. And while I was terrified stepping up to the start line of this 34 kilometre mountain run, my terror disappeared when I started running and forgot I was racing and just got into the flow of boulder hopping, rock scrambling and route skipping. I was in absolute disbelief when I crossed the finish line as the first woman in the mountain run race. Holla. Wow. For me, winning the race wasn't the most important thing. To be honest, it wasn't a thing I thought was remotely possible. It was proving to myself that I could do so much more than I thought I was capable of and was a dangerous gateway to me doing more mountain running and starting to dabble in adventure racing. I like to think that I'm proof that anyone can start running. All they need is a pair of shoes. When I started running in 2012, I was hugely overweight, but running helped me lose 30 kilograms and find joy in the outdoors. Matt, you'll be pleased to know that when I first started running, Riverhead was my happy place. It was a place where I could run and not feel self-conscious about how I looked when I ran, and whenever I come back to Auckland, I make sure I get out for a good long session in my favourite forest. Thanks again for the podcast. You already have a loyal listener in me. That's fantastic. That's amazing. And hit us up when you're next in Auckland and we'll... We'd love to have you on the podcast. Yeah, we'd love to have you on the podcast. We'd love to go running with you. So. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. All, All right, right, so I've got one from Brandon Perdue. I now live in Queenstown, so trail running and mountain running are very ingrained in what I do and who I am. I regularly run up over 1,500 meters, and I'm well prepared for any eventuality. However, back when I had a desk job and lived in Auckland, those two things go hand in hand, I used to pound the pavements in my lunch breaks and started venturing into trail running out in the Waitakere's. While I was holding my own on the trails at the time, I hadn't spent any real time running up over 1,000 metres. In late 2015, while I was working in the Lower North Island, an article popped up on my Facebook feed titled Lunatics Run Double Southern Crossing, which captured my interest. The Tararua Southern Crossing involves traversing the from Otaki Forks to Kaitoki across the Tararua Ranges, which are notorious for rough terrain and inclement weather. The Tararua Mountain Race involves running the 35km route one way, so the double obviously gets you back to where you started after 70 kilometers. I had just run the Tongariro Northern Circuit, so I was looking for that next adventure, and the double southern crossing sounded like it would be a great challenge. 
After checking and rechecking the weather, it looked like I had a window to knock off the run, but I noted that high winds were on the forecast after my scheduled finish. After advising friends of my intentions, I set off from Otaki. Shout out to Otaki. I used to live in Otaki. Did you? Forks, yep. In the early hours of the morning, with a headlamp lighting my way, the first 10 kilometers are just a gritty climb as you tick off Field Hut, then Kaim, hunt before, Kaim Hut before hitting the high point of Mount Hector. I was running moving well during the climb and was rewarded with spectacular views up around the dress circle. So, okay. Uh, at this height, there was still quite a bit of snow around and the Mount Hector Memorial Cross was covered in wind-blown ice. That sounds gnarly as. The descent down into Alpha Hut is fast open running and then things get a bit more technical as you hit the forest at Hell's Gate and down to the Marchant Ridge. As I made my way down to the Kaitoki end of the track, I was still moving well, but I knew that the 35 kilometres I had run so far was just the warm-up for the next 25 kilometres back up to Mount Hector, and that was going to be challenging. That was going to be hectic, hectic on Hector. As I made my way back up the Marchant Ridge, I was reduced to trekking in most places, whereas I'd been bounding across tree roots on the way down. It was on the arduous climb back up the Merchant R- Marchant Ridge that the winds really started to pick up as the forest was bending in the gusts. As I got higher, the winds were building in strength and it sounded like the trees would break in the gusts. As I made my way up to Alpha Hut to top up my water, a group of hikers were settling in for the evening and were surprised to see a runner. As the high winds battered the Tararua, the hikers quite rightly suggested I might want to stay put for the evening rather than venturing back outside. Unfortunately, without a sleeping bag, I wasn't too keen on a night freezing in the hut when I was still feeling good and it was, I was warmer when I was moving. As I departed Alpha Hut, I was wearing all five layers I had with me, dry fit short sleeve top, dry fit long sleeve top, two thermals and top and a jacket. I was warm enough around my core but my hands were freezing even with gloves on. Once I hit the dress circle, it was amazing to see how quickly the weather could turn. Earlier in the day, the sun was shining and you could see across the ranges. Now the visibility was down to metres and the wind was tumultuous. The high winds that were forecast for around midnight had rolled in six hours early and I was right in the thick of things. I was struggling to run the straight line due to the wind on the ridge line. And I was, li- I'm really invested in this. And I was literally knocked off my feet a few times in the hundred plus kilometre ga- gales. A couple of times, I took shelter to take a break from the wind that was howling into my ears. I was actually surprised as I reached Mount Hector as I didn't recognise the top from earlier in the day. All of the snow had been blown off the mountain, and even the thick ice that had been caked on the memorial cross was all gone. It was a relief to get to the top, and I knew that Kaim Hut would provide a welcome shelter. As I dropped into Kaim Hut, the next group of overnighting hikers were even more surprised to see me than the last group. In no time at all, they were making me a cup of tea and sharing their biscuits with me, which was much appreciated. After a quick chat, once again, I didn't stick around as long as I, as I knew the hard work was behind me, and now I just had to roll back down the remaining 10 kilometers. As I descended, the winds dropped away, and I threw my headlamp back on to to light the way to Otaki Forks. As you'd expect, I was stoked and relieved to have knocked off the double uh, southern crossing in trying conditions. Looking back, while I was capable and prepared, minimally, I was probably also a little lucky. Running the double southern crossing by yourself probably isn't the best idea, and these days I'd also carry more gear. If I remember correctly, I ran Otaki Forks to Kaitoki in approximately 7 hours and returned in approximately 9 hours. As such, somewhere around the 16-hour mark is my greatest run ever. Holy moly, that's an epic journey. uh, Yeah, I'm into that. That sounds fantastic. I've got several friends who've done the SC crossing, and it's hectic. It certainly sounds hectic on Mount Hector. Hectic on Hector. Well done. That's incredible. Thanks so much, man. So so that's two great mountain runs. Yeah. 
two really spectacular mountain runs uh, yeah. for our greatest runs ever. They're amazing. And two brilliant parts of New Zealand. Yeah, two yeah. very different parts of New Zealand yeah. as well. Yeah, but spectacular. So um, thank you very much. Keep them coming in. And so this week um, we've got coming up on the show Brad Dixon, a yeah. conversation with Brad Dixon. So the uh, world-famous Matt Raymond bio on Brad Dixon yep. Go. Here is the right way, wrong way, Raymond way bio on Brad Dixon. Brad is a physiotherapist. He lives in Mount Maunganui with his family and two daughters. Um, and he is self-confessed. His greatest role in life is as a husband and father. Um, he started off as a triathlete and quickly realized that he could smash out marathons and half marathons with great alacrity and he also has more recently moved into trail and ultra distance running which he's having you know great success at as well he's he's no slouch on the trails i think most again to to iterate and reiterate most importantly what you get from this this conversation is the sense of joy the sense of positivity uh the sense of authenticity that brad just it just screams out of him. So we couldn't be happier with this conversation. We're absolutely stoked. And I know for me as well, you know, not to bang on about it, but since I've since we talked to Brad, it's had a markedly positive effect on sort of reminding me of some stuff that's that I should have thought was important and I maybe forgot that. So here we go, Brad Dixon. Ditch Radio. All right, Kyoto, uh we're joined by Brad Dixon. Kyoto Brad, how are you? I'm good, mate. How are you guys? Doing really well, thank you. Hey, look, thanks for coming on the show. On your website, the first thing that kind of grabs or grabbed me is um, training plans to, you know, to maximize balance and joy. And for a running coach or for a coach in general, that it's got a wide set of goals, really. How did you come to get to a place where, you know, you, you focused on balance and joy rather than your next 5K time trial or <laughs> this mile split? Yeah, look, that's a really good question. Um, and I think what I've come to realize is that balance and joy, when it's done right, it actually helps performance. So it's not one or the other. Once you get balance and joy in your life and you move towards true purpose, your performance improves as well. And it's taken me a few years to understand that. And it all started, look, it all, my, my transformation, my real journey started when my um, uncle got diagnosed with grade four bowel cancer and he was only given, I think, six months to live. And he started blogging, emailing all the family and just talking about his, his journey and his fight. And like, it just really changed me. It just changed me in, in realizing that life is short and that every day, I know this sounds cliche, but every day is a gift. And, and if you don't have that, that thankfulness at the start of your day and, and you're not moving in the direction you want to go um, with the habits that you're doing, then, then what are you doing? And, and so that was the turning point for me when I was about, you know, I suppose it's probably started three or four years ago now, um, and just starting to look at how we can put habits in our day that suck us up and make us more productive and help move us towards our true authentic selves and who we're supposed to be and how we can make the world better at the same time. Does that sort of answer the question? (laughs) Probably. So it's interesting that you talk about that and that happened, you know, you said three to four years ago and and through your uncle's struggle and, and, and process with, you know, stage four bowel cancer. 
you've been an athlete and a competitive athlete for a lot longer than that. So you started off running triathlons. Yeah, right. I, or running. Yeah, I started. started. Yep, that's right. I started doing so triathlons. Yep. What was your training like back in the day? Was it more prescriptive and linear? Yeah, look, absolutely. Back in the day, look, I, I, I look back and just cringe at what I was doing. Um, it was ticking off boxes. It was making sure I did my 80K run weeks. It was making sure I did my key sessions. It's, it was making sure that I was uh, you know, doing the right races. It was just all training, training focused. And my main goal was to get good and to beat other people and to beat times and to, um, yeah, just be as good as I could be from that pure racing, that physical type realm. And it, look, it just, I just got ill. So what, what happened is I was doing this for quite a few years. I was under the direction of John Hallamans, who was a fan, just a fantastic coach, just so cool to be with. But I put so much pressure on myself. I basically ran myself into the ground, um, got glandular fever, um, and, and really started hating my training. You know, I was doing it. I was ticking it off because I thought that's what I wanted. But, you know, I wasn't being honest with myself back then. I was just trying to tick boxes. Wow. That's, that's uh, amazing um, to be able to look back and, and see that in yourself. So what, mm. when, you, when you compare how, what that regime was like to now, what is the key difference? I mean, are you looking at, do you even keep track of numbers, for instance, around mileage per week or those sorts of things? Yeah, look, absolutely. There's a world of difference, and it's just all to do with mindset. Um, I can I can honestly say, um, and you can you can talk to my training buddies to confirm this, but I love every session I do. Um, I don't have a lot of time to train. I've you know I run a business. I've got a, a young family and a mortgage to pay. Yeah. Um, but the the eight hours I do a week, so I do between probably six and nine hours training. Um, and I look forward to every single minute of that training because um, I know that it's going to enhance me, make me a better father, a better husband, um, a better physio, uh, a better writer, uh, a better coach. Um, and it just sparks me up, you know. It's not, it, and, and because I'm not doing a lot, um, you know, I think quality is, is key. And, and I think that's overused, the quality over quantity. People just say it, actually doing it or meaning it. But because I'm not training that much during the week, Every session, I absolutely relish. I love getting up for my long run and when I meet my buddies and we have a chat. And I love doing my rep session. I love doing my body weight exercise on the beach as the sun rises. Um, I, I love my yoga class. I love my swim. I love my swimming in the ocean. Uh, so it's just a love joy thing. I've, I've managed to schedule stuff in my day to enhance my my life, and and the training is blended in in a, in a way that just makes that just sparks me up. So the difference is, is profound, but it's all to do with mindset and it's all to do with making sure that I'm being authentic with my roles as a father, husband, a physiotherapist, coach, writer first. And then, look, I'm an athlete seventh or eighth, <laughs> you know. I'm not an athlete first. I'm not a professional athlete. So I'm going to train to make sure that I train to bring joy. Fantastic. I mean, I'm just, okay, we'll stop it here. I'm going for a run. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> listening to you, man. Yeah. Six minutes. Um, that's a new, that's a new record. Hey, um, <laughs> and in terms of, uh, you said you swim, you know, you, you're based in Tauranga, yeah, or Mount Maunganui? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, based in Mount Maunganui, the beautiful Mount Maunganui. It's a beautiful place. Hey, can you talk us through one of the things that, and for people who don't know, although we've never, Never met in person. I saw you at, at, 
I saw you flash past at Tarawe to 60 this year, but uh, you write for Kiwi Trail Runner. I was formerly the editor of Kiwi Trail Runner. And one of the things that you, yeah, yeah. you most impressed me with your writing was about the, the sort of the integrated nature of your training. You turned in an article about cold water, you know, exposure. Yeah. Can you, can you talk us through that? Because I, that was one of the things that I was really interested in. I thought it was just a bit yeah, look, Russian villain yeah. in James Bond movies, but it's not. <laughs> Yeah, look, look, when I when I started um, going through um, just questioning things a little bit more, I started to look for people that inspired me so that I could learn off them and, and try some things to blend in with my life. So then I could talk to my athletes about it with more authenticity. So I, what I did is I like to try something for 100 days. So, you know, to, to entrench a habit, people say, oh, you need to do it for 21 days. That's not true. 21 days will sort of spike spike it a little bit but it's not going to entrench that habit you need to do it for around 66 to 100 days to really entrench a habit so one of my one of my um, mottos is discipline is only difficult until it becomes a habit and then it just flows so one thing that I thought was really interesting was this guy called Wim Hof Hof is a guy who holds multiple world records for climbing up Mount Kilimanjaro in just his shorts he swims under one meter block of ice for 100 meters the guy's nuts um and but he was just saying how cold is is the ultimate um health um elixir and um so i thought well this is a bit weird and then i looked into a little bit of research and it does show that if you actually get cold it can stimulate your immune system it can help you produce more testosterone um it can release c-reactive proteins that help with mitochondria formation and fat cell turning um so you can improve your brown fat production so i thought oh this is all there's a bit of science here so i decided to have a cold shower every morning for 100 days so i started doing that november 2015 i think and i've done it ever since because it's just so good so i did a cold shower in the morning um for 100 days it enhanced me i feel better afterwards it, it just sparks me up um, and so that's just one thing that I did. And then I started doing swimming. So I swam in the ocean all year round. Every Wednesday, I've blocked out a time between sort of quarter past 12 and 1. It's sort of in my schedule. It's blocked in for the next 10 years. And I go and get in the ocean, doesn't matter the weather, um, and swim in the ocean. And and I, first of all, I did it for the first couple of years with a wetsuit on because um, my athletes really enjoyed swimming. And so I just joined him. And then for the last two years or two and a half years, I – um, have swum without a wetsuit in winter. Um, so I swim about, I don't know, up to a K, um, 20 minutes, 30 minutes sometimes in, you know, 12 to 14 degree water. Um, and it's invigorating. It's, it's again, a mindset thing. People think I'm crazy, but I, 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 it's not. It's Once you get in, it's a really amazing feeling and that cold brings you into the present pretty quickly. Um, I think it has a lot of benefits and it just – it's just a beautiful thing to do. So I encourage everyone to give it a go. How long was your cold shower in the morning? What did you start off in? Oh, look, I only st- to start with, I only did maybe 10 seconds at the end of my shower cold. Right. And then I, then I worked it up to 30 seconds. And then after about six weeks, I thought, actually, I could just do the whole thing cold. So then I just started having cold showers. And so I have a cold shower anywhere between, you know, one and a half and four minutes have a cold shower and, and um, get out. And afterwards you feel invigorated, you feel warm, you feel you feel really energized, you feel alive. Where if you have a hot shower, you get out and you feel really lethargic. You know, you kind of feel like you don't want to get out of the shower. With a, with a cold shower, you kind of get out and you just, it's just like having a double espresso. It's just a natural way of picking you up. So um, 
Yeah, as I say, cold cold therapy to me is just one thing. It's a no brainer. It doesn't cost anything. In fact, it probably saves you money over over your lifetime. And, and um, it's it's one thing that's that's gonna a really easy way just to pick you pick yourself up. So is that? Uh, it's it sounds like it's made a difference to you, sort of psychologically and and, and sort of invigorating you. But yes, have you noticed any actual sort of health benefits or any, any sort of tangible oh, benefits oh, that you can put your finger on? It's too soon to say, and you know, at the end of the day, um, n equals one with me. It's a, it's a study of one. Um, okay, I haven't been as sick, you know, but it's, I've been, only been doing it for three years. So, I mean, no, everyone's going to look at it and just be quite sceptical. Uh, I can say that I've only been sick, you know, I get sick once a year and it's only sort of two or three days and it's a small cold where a few years ago I got sick maybe two, three times a year. I don't know, maybe it's had an effect on that and, and that's been shown in the research that cold, showers and cold exposure for, for controlled parts of time can boost your immune system. And there's a few studies in Scandinavia that show that. Um, look, from a, a white fat, brown fat, like something I've never heard of, this brown fat thing where you can actually change the mitochondria within it to be functioning, so it's an energy-producing cell rather than a fat storage cell. Um, so therefore, from an aerobic point of view, from an aerobic efficiency point of view, it might be able to, to be helpful for an endurance sport. But again, I've got no no hard data to, to back that up. It's just my own personal experience. Um, so look, I do think it helps me um, physically um, and mentally. At the end of the day, we all need to realise that the mind and body are, are meshed together. You can't separate them. I think that's right. one of the biggest problems with with um, our medical system is we, we reductionise everything. But at the end of the day, mind, body, spirit, it's all connected. And so if one, it's good. If something's good for one, it's probably going to be good for the other. And there's no uh, there's no psychological there's no thought that doesn't have a physical analog either. So that I, I'm fully with you there. Mind body dualism is bunk. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think we need to move with the times and realise that when we treat people, we have to be a lot more holistic. And and we all, we're, you know all medical professionals are on the same team. And I think we we've got to stop worrying about stepping on each other's toes and make sure we stay within scope. But make sure that we all back each other up. And and the big rocks of wellness rather than piss around with the small pebbles. Um, and tell people they need more sleep, they need to exercise more, they need to communicate more effectively, do yoga, eat more vegetables, drink more water, drink less alcohol. Um, it's you know it's, it's all the big things that everyone knows, not everybody does. I think if everybody did that individually and collectively, we would move forward um, and be far more um, far more uh, along the journey of wellness. I mean, you're talking to a, a community of people, trail runners generally are sort of um, – along that thinking, although we could all do better, I'm sure. But do you think that um, that people are getting getting more attuned to that kind of thinking? It seems to be seems to be the way, but uh, or or is it more sort of we're kind of aware of it? We all go, yeah, but uh, yeah, maybe tomorrow. You know, I don't know. What what do you yeah, experience? Yeah. What do you see? Yeah, exactly what you just said. I think more put, more people are aware. Look, we're we're a society that we're over. Um, we've got information overload, application underload. So everybody knows what to do. Like, you know, everybody knows that they should be eating more vegetables and more fruit and less processed food. Everybody knows they shouldn't be drinking every night. Everybody knows they, um, that they probably need more water. They need to go to bed earlier. They need less screen time. They need more time communicating with their loved ones. They need more time spending time with family um, and good friends. But we're all too busy. You know, I've got I've got deadlines. You know, I've got I'm really busy with my work. I can't. You know, I've got stuff on. You don't know how busy I am, man. That's what I hear all the time. And it's like we've all got 24 hours a day. It's about starting making decisions now, just just with what you can in a very small way, and building up from there. So, 
Go back to your, to your question. Yeah, look, I think more people are aware of the information that, that's circulating around now on social media and in, um, in other formats, but people have trouble applying it. And I think that's where you need to find someone, either a coach or a health professional, that can get to know you, figure out who, how you tick and figure out the best way to get you started on your empowerment and, and being, uh, you know, taking hold of your wellness journey by the scruff of the neck and actually moving forward with it. Fantastic. Um, and, and there's yeah, never, never a truer word said, I think, in terms of actually taking action and, and getting, getting, putting into, into action these things that we all, we all know, we all know. And I mean, yep. they have some really, some really valid, uh, I mean, I've just started working in an emergency room, Brad, um, uh-huh. after being out in the community for, you know, eight years and, and being in a, a non-mental health environment and seeing that the majority of people that, not the lots of people who come through with very serious outcomes with their cardiac systems, you know, the, you know, blood pressure, all, all stuff like that, their health, it's all that stuff that you talked about, you know, and, and you see the end product of that. It's certainly a wake up call, mm. you know, and I wish more people, I wish more people could see that. I mean, that's not coming from, you know, I'm not perfect. Um, no one is, but you're, yeah, no. you're bang on. So on, on moving through, I mean, again, your progression with running, you started off, you know, triathlete and then some, I'm looking at your PBs here, some pretty smoking fast, you know, 116 and a half and 247 oh. road marathon. And then you've moved on to sort of more trail and ultra running or longer distance. Yeah. Was that a conscious <clears throat> decision or did that sort of just flow with your, your, your move sort of a holistic look out yeah there. look I, yeah I think look you know I as a younger athlete in my 20s and um yeah my, my early 20s late 20s and maybe early 30s um b- before I had kids um I had a lot of time so triathlon was a, vo- a viable option um <clears throat> the trouble with triathlon is the cycling component takes a lot of time like you yeah. can't really shortcut that so if you want to race and race well in triathlon you need to put a lot of time on on the bike um, and so I think it came to a point where I realized that I couldn't really be as competitive as I wanted to in the sport of triathlon because I just didn't have the time. Like I, I only had sort of six to eight hours a week to train. Um, it's just no way I could do that effectively and race to the levels that I wanted to. So I switched to one sport. So I just switched to running um, a few years ago now. And I still do the odd triathlon just to keep my hand in and, and I really enjoy it. But um, the, the running just... I started to really enjoy the running um, and I realized that, that I could compete at a highest level with, with not having to do the, the massive amount of hours that cycling requires. And look, the other thing to be, to be brutally honest, cycling on New Zealand roads does not appeal to me at all. And I think mm-hmm. from again, an authentic point of view, look, I'm a, I'm a husband and a father first. My safety is, is <laughs> paramount. Um, and going out on the New Zealand roads a lot, um, it's, just, it's just not safe. It's a, uh, there's a real culture in our country that is pretty dangerous, and I think we all need to realise we're all one. Uh, it's not cyclists on the road. That's a husband. It's a father. It's a mother. We need to treat each other with a bit more respect, and that goes both ways. I think cyclists need to make sure that they're due respectful to drivers, but at the moment, it's just whenever I get on the road, I just, I just shake my head. It's just so upsetting. So I haven't been out on the road. I maybe go out once every few months um, early on a Sunday morning to try to avoid traffic and avoid exhaust fumes and uh, but but that's another reason why I've probably gone more to running than, than triathlon. And 
So what what have you found? I mean, it's 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 a big difference from triathlon to running. Um, how, how have you enjoyed it? What's the what's the difference? Oh, look, I've loved it because because part of my part of my um, change has really been enjoying nature a bit more, getting out into nature. So with trail running, you get to man, you get to run for hours in the beautiful New Zealand bush um, with like minded people. It's it's just a buzz. It's just such a such a great feeling compared to triathlon, which is you know it's a little bit more time competitive focus. It's just a little bit of a different culture. Um, not a bad thing. It's just it's just that I did that for many many years, and I sort of just wanted to change. And um, trail running and cross country and road running, you just it's just a, just the simplicity of it and the option of getting out into to the beautiful forest, beautiful being amongst the trees. It's just look, it's a spiritual thing. It's just beautiful. It really really is. And I've got you know Vicky Woolley to thank for that too. Vicky Woolley was a editor of KTR before you, before you, Matt, and she she really sparked my interest in the trail running thing and. and I gave it an ultra, Tarawera Ultra, a go a few years ago. Um, and, and just since then, I've just, just realized that this is something I really want to do um, and, and something I really, really love. So it's it's been a really natural progression to, because of time, um, available time, and, and just what I'm kind of getting more interested in now, which is more time away from um, roads and cars and, and more time in the bush. And so trail running lends itself to that really. Hey, just before we... Um move completely into our our mutual sort of tree hugging trail running embrace, embrace <laughs> the moment thing can i can yeah. you indulge me in a little bit of a, a fanboy moment because i've always had a fascination with the hawaii iron man okay, and, yeah. and and you've done it um yeah what's it like oh it's fantastic um, Hawaii, the Hawaiian Ironman is just—it's again—it's—it's it's kind of a, the spiritual beginnings of triathlon. So when I was a young triathlete, that was my aim to do Hawaii, and um, I did—I uh, was—I was pretty good at the half Ironman. I was, you know, placed all right in the half Ironman. I got to a time of—I think I did four hours eleven minutes back in, um, I think. I can't remember the year. It might have been year two two thousand or something like that. But before that, I'd, I was doing sort of four um, four twenties and four fifteens for for the half. So I was I was I was I was adequate. And 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 what I thought, I, I would just give the full a go. So I decided six weeks before the Taupo Ironman, I think it was ninety nine, I decided to give the Ironman a go. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go blitz this. I can do a half and four hours, 20 or whatever, I, you know, I'll just double that and add 15 minutes and busy, you know, I'll, I'll do nine and a half hours and be a piece of cake. So when did Taupo um, with really not enough miles on bike, <laughs> I was very naive and blew up massively, just, you know, got through the bike, got onto the run and just, and just halfway through the run, the wheels fell off and I sort of crawled home, uh, but managed to just qualify for Hawaii. So, um, so I thought, look, this is, this is something I've got to do. So I just took took the chance and got to Hawaii and wow, what a, you know, I just was blown away. I just, I was pinching myself the whole day. I was just in a, in a daydream racing with people like Greg Welch and Scott Tinley. Well, not racing with them, but racing in the same race in them anyway. And, 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 and just, I, I just had, you know, Hawaii, the Hawaiian Ironman was, um, was just a fantastic race, a, be- a fantastic atmosphere. Um, uh, so yeah, I can't recommend it highly enough to any triathlete um, to have Kona as a name. Um, I think it's it's something special, um, and it's it's just the the beginnings of of the sport triathlon, and it should be something that should be aimed for if, if possible. Yeah, I, I um I went and watched in 1994. Um, I was happened to be over there at the same time, so I thought thought I'd go along and watch and just 
man, what a bunch of athletes, incredible. And yeah. the atmosphere and the whole vibe around the event is just extraordinary. So I just, you know, I'm just in awe of you actually actually gearing up and, and racing in it. And like you say, those those legends of the sport who turn up there. Anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm going off down a complete really, tangent I, here. I don't <laughs> think you are. I mean, it, and it, it sort of it typifies, I mean, you, you think about, you know, triathletes and, and there is a perhaps a, Perhaps a a, a mis, misapprehend. Oh, what's what? You get branded as being. Or there's that branding of kind of like almost a little bit precious. But if you if you look at the a the performances at Kona, and I can't remember his name, the German tri, the German athlete, and he'd won the last two years, and he was on. Don't touch me, you did. He was on um, tapping. He was <laughs> he was on course to. Um, to win again in his hip flexor. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, Jan, Jan Frodeno. Like, yeah. That's the one. And, and spent 10 minutes lying mm. on the ground. His race was yeah. at his, And he could have pulled at that point, as many pro athletes do, but he got up yeah. and he He gave respect and, to the moment. And, he respect to that race and he paid homage to that race by finishing. And, and you know, that's the kind of – that's what that race does to be. It brings out the best in you. It changes you. It's um, To run a marathon in that heat off the bike, um, I mean – it's it's my, you get off a bike and it's the last thing you want to do, you know. And, and so to do that just changes you as a person. And it's just it's a fantastic. It's, it's getting comfortable, and uncomfortable, and as you know, it, it, it takes that discomfort, change you, and, and make those changes. So it's cool. And it's a hundred and eighty kilometer cycle, isn't it? It's That's a long correct. One. Yes, yeah. yeah. And you got heat coming at you from all directions. From, yeah, from you, the ground. You feel like honestly, you feel like you're on a hair. You got a hair dryer on you the whole day. Well, the, the day that I did it anyway, it was just um. It was so hot. You just were drinking all the time. And you're just sort of thinking, how the heck am I going to get off and be able to run a marathon? Um, but but you do. You, know, you get off and you just start off slow and you put one foot in front of the other. You bring all those cliches in. You just stay in the kilometre you're in and you get it done. And and I think that in 99 taught me that I'm probably capable of more than I think. I think we're all capable of more than we think. And I think if we can have that mindset, that growth mindset, um, that will allow us to achieve far more than we ever thought possible. And, and that's something that I think, you know, mindset is just so important. It's pivotal. And, and, and that's something we all need to all need to take on board. Absolutely agree. And, and looking, I guess, part of that as well, you've talked about, you know, moving into the trail running thing. You've talked about diet. You talk, you're, you're a plant-based athlete. Um, you eat, you know, as you said, mainly whole foods. But you also, another role that you have is, is that you own, you own a supplements company? Oh yeah, look, I I own um, I'm an owner operator of Enduro Beat. So a few years ago, one of my mates was I think with a New Zealand track team in Belgium, and he was saying that everybody was juicing beetroot. And beetroot was this this next big thing. And I thought beetroot, what the heck's got? What's what's beetroot got in? And you talked about nitrates and how it apparently improves blood flow to working muscle. And I just thought this sounds weird, so I looked to it. He's right, you know, beetroot is a is, is a pretty cool performance agent. It's also really healthy for you, and it sort of fitted in well with my plant based philosophy. So I thought. Let's push some beetroot on people, and, and so I created the brand Enduro Beat, and, um, and yeah, so it's just a, it's a very small little sideline business that I've got going. Um, I, you know, I sell a few units every now and then, and have it in a few shops, and it's just something that aligns well with my passion for um, for basically trying to push fruit and vegetables and and whole food onto people. And I think if more people ate more whole food, more real food, again, there'd be probably a whole lot of less health problems out there. Um, everybody knows it, but again, nobody does it because fast food, processed food, so cheap, so so um, so so it's so accessible 
um, that, that it's just the easiest fallback option to go to. But, you know, if people could just think about what they're doing and what they're putting into their bodies, maybe we could create a bit of change and, and get people eating more fruit and vegetables. Have you got any sort of moving forward and thinking about, you know, trial running? Have you got any goals for the next couple of years? Have you got anything on the horizon that you're aiming for? Or is it more just sort of getting through as you can? Oh, look, I'm, I'm just really enjoying my running at the moment. I've, I've actually got a, a couple of 10K races coming up. I want to try and run a bit faster. Um, so a couple of 10K road races coming up. Um, and then I've, I've got a really cool weekend plan with my, one of my best mates, Craig Hawkeyard down in Christchurch. Um, he's, he's one of my best mates. I met him at Varsity in my first year, and he's got a love for trail running. <clears throat> he's a real trail runner. Like he can, you know, he can, you know, you know one of these trail runners that can just run up a – he's like a mountain goat. Where where I'm, uh, to be fair, trail running is not my strength. Um, if anyone's seen me run, my my coordination is pretty poor. Um, so I've got a weekend plan with him. I'm going to fly into Christchurch and we're going to just run into a hut somewhere in Arthur's Pass, run out over a weekend, and just do a big, a big sort of I don't know, 60, 70 k over a weekend with a, with a hut stay in between. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, is some time with my best mate uh, in nature with. Uh, you know, with no cell phone and, and just and just be and just and just uh, just get into the bush. So that that's what I'm really looking forward to in November. Um, and then next year I'll probably do another ultra. Um, I probably need to do a hundred k sometime just to um, to suffer a little bit more. I think that'd be quite fun. I've done a, a couple of sixties now and a fifty, so I probably need to step it up. Um, so I've got a hundred uh, sometime in the next couple of years, depending on um, family commitments. Um, so that's probably the goal is just to keep enjoying it, keep injury free and, um, and, and just keep having fun. I, I love the idea that, um, you know, Matt asked the question about what goals you've got and you, you didn't mm-hmm. talk about so much about, you know, I want to run this and that time. You, you started talking about an adventure with your mate and that just, I think, says so much about how we should be thinking about running and, and we do yeah, I become. Agree. I agree. Look, I think too many people are so time focused it, it actually um, it's detrimental to performance. So I think it's good to have the time, but the time will take care of itself as long as you put the processes in place. And I think if you can make things fun, you can be lit up when you're doing the training, you're going to get far more out of it. You're going to absorb far more out of it. If you go in anxious and uptight and contracted, you will not get the benefits. So when people become too time-focused and too results-focused, what they're doing is being contracted with their thinking and their results will become contracted. Um, so for me, um, it's something that's taken me 38 years to learn because <clears throat> when I used to train as a young triathlete, um, I was completely contracted, time-focused, results-focused. I just got myself sick, <clears throat> and I think we need to be more process-focused, um, look at joy, look at it, and making sure that we're doing things in a way that, that, that pumps us up, makes us feel good, and, um, and if we can do that, the time will take care of itself. You, you, honestly, you'll, you'll do things that you never thought possible. So we're just going to switch that mindset around. Absolutely, it's it's um it's great advice and and it just it's it's the truth, man. It's the truth. It is the truth. Yeah, I think I think we're all I think it is. I think we're all prone to you know anything like trail running or triathlon or cycling. It's it's aspirational, isn't it? We look to you know the triathletes at Kona who can run a. 224 marathon off the back of a swim and a bike. We look at someone like, oh, two, maybe a two, 245 marathon, maybe not a 224. That that would be that would be amazing. Was that sorry? 
Uh, probably wouldn't be a two twenty four, maybe a two two forty or yeah two forty five okay. marathon off the off the bike. Two, yeah, for yeah. sure. So sub three marathon off the bike. So <clears throat> yeah, we, yeah. We look to those people who are, you know, who are smashing it and and or, or you know gifted professional athletes. And I, do you think we're guilty as well of sort of being prey being prey to the the context of which we we oh, operate in, so the trail running community, that, we go, oh, I could do better. Yeah, absolutely. When you look at it. Yep, you're absolutely right. I think one of the things I say to a lot of my athletes um, is comparison, and my daughters is, comparison is the theft of all joy. And when you start comparing yourself to people um, who are way better and, and letting, you, letting it get you down, again, it, it makes you contracted. We need to compete to be inspired and be motivated. So we need to look at people and think, wow, look at what they're doing. That is so cool. And then be realistic. That person is a professional athlete. They live, breathe, and and, and, and eat, and that's all they do, running or triathlon. We have to be authentic with our roles in life. You know, I am a father and a husband first. I'm a physio next, um, you know, and then, and then I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a good friend, I'm a friend, I'm an uncle. Um, and, and then I'm an athlete. That athlete thing is there just to help enhance all those other ones, all those other roles that are far more important than, than running. Yeah. So once we get the authenticity right and our roles defined correctly and then our actions to match those definitions of the roles, then the running takes care of itself. Then the running is so much fun because it's actually blended in um, in the order it should be. I see too many athletes out there that are doing way too much and becoming a bit too unbalanced and not reflecting what their what their true roles are in life. Um, and, you know, it's very hard to talk to them about that because people get very fixated. Um, and, and it's, but it's, you know, it's, it can be an addiction. And everyone thinks that running is a healthy addiction. I'm sorry, there is no healthy addictions if it takes away from things in life that are more important and more meaningful. So I think, it's probably good for people to hear that. You know, you, you can actually have addictions that um, that are healthy in terms of running or cycling, or um, but but it doesn't mean that it's actually beneficial. So just oh, yeah, one hundred percent. And you hear it a lot. People say, you know, that I, and I get very exercised by it. You, you know, running is cheaper than therapy. It's like, mm. like running is therapeutic. <clears throat> it's not therapy. <laughs> you know, no, like, right. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I think the more that people, and especially because, say, ultra running now is is the thing, yeah. and it's not representative, and it's actually not representative of the growth of the sport. More people are doing shorter distances than are doing ultra marathons. You know, the numbers are staying relatively static. Yeah, but it's 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 a it's an aspirational thing. That concept of the, you know, the broken ultra runner who's turning up to events carrying injuries, mm. who's disconnected from their their family who's not performing at work and they're going to have a terrible time. Exactly. Yep. And I, I've been there. I've been that guy. Yep, me I've too. absolutely yep. been. <clears throat> yeah, look, absolutely. I think when you have that disconnect between mind and body, like this, if you most, and I've done myself, you get a little niggle and you just keep running through it, keep running through it because you can and it gets a bit worse and the body's kind of whispering to you and then the body's talking to you and then the body's shouting at you and you just ignore it because you've got this event on. Um, and then you, you know you inevitably break down or get to the start line um, in pieces. Um, you know we've got to start being more authentic with with what our bodies are telling us, and and, and just listen a little bit harder. 
And then there's the other thing, the family. You know, I think it's it's all right to sit down with the family and say, hey, I'm going to give this event a go. The next six months are going to be like this. This is Let's get our expectations in order. This is what I'm going to do. And, and be open with your communication at the start of that journey. But if you start doing that year on, you know, every year, um, you know, I, I, hate, I hate to use the word selfish, but it's, it's just a little bit selfish. You know, I think we need to make sure that those ultras and those big Ironmans and those big, you know, big events they're done every now and then because at the end of the day, all, well, most of us like chocolate cake. We have chocolate cake three times a day. You soon get pretty sick of it and it makes you ill. So, you know, we need to respect those distances um, with our lives and make sure that we do them uh, in a way that it fits in um, rather than just ticking it every year because, it, you know, we think that it's going to, I don't know, I don't know why we do that. Maybe we do it because we're searching for something. But um, I think we need to make sure we, we – give justice to those events and just do them every now and then when, when life allows it. That's, I, I want to, I want to put you in powder form and sprinkle you from an airplane, Brad. I really do. Yeah, um, just, just to fill you in on the, on the picture of what's going on here, Brad, cause you can't see us, but Matt's got his hands in the air singing hallelujah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the yeah. full fella cootie hands in the air, fists clenched. Hey, um, <laughs> moving through to your most important role, like you said, as a father and a husband, Mm. How do you role model, yeah. and, and Eugene is both a father and a husband, and I'm a father and a husband, how do you adaptively role model an active life full of well-being and not make your kids hate running? I'll give you the example. We, yeah, we yeah. don't talk to our kids. My wife and I both run. We don't talk to our kids about running at all. My son came home. He was absolutely horrified because he'd made it to the cross-country champs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was like, I've made it to the cross country test. I was like, that was great. He was so upset because he, <laughs> you know, he hates running because we do it, but we don't talk about it. You know, yeah. how do you, <clears throat> what are the yeah. challenges? How do you role model that? Yeah, look, that's a really good question. And, and I've done it so wrong for a while. And, look, and my wife should be rolling her eyes at the moment. I can almost hear her eyes rolling. But, um, she, what, what I used to do at the start is I used to make my girls come out for a run with me every week. You know, come on, girls, it's time for a run. And they go, oh, Dad. I go, no, we've got to run. It's really good for you. And I was sort of just trying to really press it on them. And, uh, and then one day I can remember taking them out, and they were both a bit tired. And one of them came back and just burst out crying. And, and that was the moment that I realized I knew that I was just doing it so wrong. And, you know, my wife, my lovely wife, Coral, took me aside and gave me those talkings too that, you know, I needed. And, um, you know, don't tell her this, but she was absolutely right, absolutely right in everything she said. I didn't tell her that at the time, of course. Um, but And she just said, look, it's got to be fun. It's got to be joyful. You know, all the stuff that I'm preaching to everybody else, and I wasn't doing it to my kids. Um, and that was hard. So now what I do is we go out we go out for walks. We go out for walks in the bush. And then if we feel like it, we can do a few little jog walks. And, you know, sometimes the girls will go out and I'll say, hey, Dad, can we go for a little bit of a jog, run up this hill or whatever. And I go, yeah, let's do that. And so I kind of provide the environment for them to go out and be active in nature. And they, they kind of take the lead. I don't try and push them. Um, and I've been guilty of that in the past, you know. So I think you've just got to make things fun, enjoyable, and just let them, let the kids guide us rather than the adults guide the kids. Sometimes we're, you know, adults, we make – we make tournaments. We, we, we ferry our kids around to four different sports and three different cultural things a week. And, mm. and, and, and I just think sometimes we're just a bit too organized. We just need to let them play. Just let the kids go outside and make their own games up and go along with them and let them take lead for the afternoon and just do what they want to do. I think we need to 
just bring the fun and the joy back and the play aspect back rather than organise competition and organise this, organise that. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying maybe that we've tipped it over a bit too far from organised competition, from play. Kids, they need to be kids for longer, you know. They've got all their lives to be competitive and to, to get into sport. So, so to answer your question, just, you just you've got to just let maybe the kids take a little bit more of a lead, let them play a little bit more, have a little bit more um, unorganised structural activity. Just let them use their imaginations and go out and move and interact with nature in a joyful way, because it's going to be far more, far more impactful, far more positive than if we try and take them out and just make them think, make them do what we think they need to do. Yeah, you can't you can't force feed kids, can you? No, at all. no. and that that's great advice, you know, for for parents, but also you know, there's be some amongst us in this community who don't have kids ourselves, but yeah. but for the kids in our lives, that's that's great advice. If you want to get them into running, the wrong way to do it is to go. You must run. You, you must, must run. run. Yeah, it's yeah. just um, it doesn't work. Totally wrong. Yeah. And if you look at, I mean, look at the state of school cross country. That's very rarely done right. <clears throat> yep. I made the. Um, or you know, I sort of talked about it before. It'd be like, is it if if you if I came to you as a coach and and I said, Brad, I want to run a half marathon, and you go, okay, Matt. So what you need to do is you need to go out today and run a half marathon, and then the next day, run a half marathon, and you run a half marathon every day. Yeah. Leading up to the half marathon. Yep. A day before, we'll take you and we'll get you to run that half marathon just to familiarize yourself with the course. Yeah. I'm not going to have a good time. No, that's ex- like you've hit the nail on the head. I think with our kids, we, we don't want to we don't want to force them to do it every every week or every day because they just hate it. So maybe they need to be gone out and, just, and play a little bit more and maybe go through um, a little bit of advice on how to run properly maybe and, and, and do some shorter, sharper stuff and then some fun games where they're running rather than just telling them to go run around the field every day. Um um, but it's hard. We, we, we want to provide activity, and um, but you know, and, and teachers uh, they've got a lot on their plates, and we can't expect them to go out and and do what we think's right for the kids from a coaching point of view. Maybe we just need to, maybe us coaches need to step up and, and go in and maybe help run some of those things and facilitate things so that it's a little bit more, a little bit better. Um, uh, but you know, at the end of the day, kids need activity, and we need to make sure that they are active because if they are active, they're going to be able to learn a little bit better as well. If you look back in some of the time, like back in the Greek times, you know, they had universities, you know, places of learning back then where they'd have an hour of philosophy, then they'd have an hour of wrestling, then they'd have an hour of, you know, mathematics or whatever, then an hour of archery. They, they kind of blend in their physical with their, their, their mental. And I just don't think mm. we have enough of that. I think kids aren't supposed to sit down in a classroom, especially the, you know, young kids. I think we need to, to think about a little bit more kinesthetic learning and do things just a bit differently. So, um, you know, I just think we've got a few things to learn and maybe we need to go back to the past to figure that out. I agree with you 100%. I, yeah, I agree with you 100%. It's, it's, it's true. All right. So, yeah. Brad, we, we can't, we're getting to that point in the in our conversation and we kind of spring this on every, we, well, we spring this on everyone we talk to. So what I'd like to discuss or what I'd like to ask you is, you know, hey Brad Dixon, what's the what's your greatest run ever? Yeah, look, and, and I've, I've had a little think. My greatest run ever was I had a run, um, I think a year or two back now, where I went down to um, Hanma Springs for a, a physio class reunion, and again, my mate Craig picked me up from the airport, and instead of going straight to Hanma, we went um, quite a few hours earlier and went to Lewis Pass and. We just went for this awesome 
four-hour bush bash run. You know, we just both <clears throat> got out of his uh, got out of his truck and um, we we just went and ran to this little hut. Um, it was about oh, I think it was only about 12k into the bush, maybe even a bit less than 12k out. Um, and we were going at about five an hour and, and it was just, it was hard and crossed a few rivers and it was a beautiful day, beautiful, cool day. And I, and I just look back then and just think that was one of my greatest runs ever because again, I was ticking the boxes. I was with someone that I loved, was with a great, good mate. I was with, in a place that I loved and I was doing something that I loved. And so when you align all of those things, when all those things are in harmony, when you're doing something in nature that you love and you're moving in nature with people that you love. Um, that's what sparks you up, you know. And so that was probably my greatest run ever. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a race. It was just a beautiful adventure, you know. And I can remember getting out of that run. I was cold. I was a bit hungry. I was, I think, I rolled an ankle. Um, but I was buzzing. You know, I sat down in the car after that run, and I had that feeling. You know, I'm sure we all had it after a session or a race where you just you feel alive. You know, you feel alive. That's what I think trail running does. It, it gives us the opportunity to really feel alive, to disconnect from the world. And I think the world creates static that just numbs us from who we are. And, it's, you know, nature just brings us back to, to what's real. So that, that is my, that's my greatest run. Brilliant. Hey, that's, that's a fantastic example of exactly what we mean when we talk to people about yeah. the greatest run ever. It's not about results. And that kind of it, it, um, echoes what you've been saying the whole way through here, that this is not, you know, we've got to, we've got to take a different approach sometimes and, and really think about mind and body and, and, and the kind of emotional and spiritual aspects of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, wonderful, and it's wonderful to hear you say because I, and I think these words are underused. Yeah. Joy, love, connection, yeah. alive. You know, we are psychologically and physiologically, we're mammals. Yeah. We're programmed. We have chemicals in our body that enable us, that compel us to love. We're designed to do it. We should acknowledge it more. And I think if we say, you know, it's an underused word. Yeah, I agree. And I think, that, and I'd like, brother, I'd like to say, like, thank you so much for coming on. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, you scream it out every pore. You really do. That integration, that joy, and that love of movement, and that love of, I guess that love of, it's, you know, like the Hebrew say, l'chaim, to life, that love of life. Yeah. yeah. So thank you so yeah, much. Thank you Brian. so much. Like, yeah, look, I'm, yeah, my pleasure. I just want to thank you guys too for, um, you know, the, the Dirt Church Radio that you've got going on. It's great because it brings together community. There's an amazing trail running community, running community out there, and we need. Um, to, to, to hear people um, speaking and, and bringing the community together and, 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 and creating more conversation and, and, and that's what you guys are doing so you guys are all part of it and uh, so thank you very much for undertaking what you guys are doing oh we couldn't be happier man yeah. thank you so much jeez Louise that was heck, that was incredible it was wonderful yep that's what it was. It was joyful. It was. Yeah. And I learned so much. I'm a bit so tired. Much. Yeah. Is it wrong that I'm a bit tired after that? Um, uh, no, that's. I, I really enjoyed it. And I really, um, I liked him reminiscing about his triathlon days. Yeah. And kind of talking about the, uh, what he learned out of that. I liked the bit about Wim Hof and the, 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 the cold exposure and, yeah. the, you know, the, the, all the shock proteins and stuff. And I, yeah. I'm probably not. Oh, maybe I'll start having cold showers. Our friend Tom went for a swim, midwinter swim last Friday. 
yeah. uh, and gave it a go. And he's kind of encouraged us to go along as well, but I don't know if I can do it. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. You think? Yeah, I reckon. Yeah. yeah, I reckon we start branching out. Tom, if you're listening, that's a very solid maybe. Yeah, and Brad, if you're listening, that's a damn straight. I'll yeah. come down to Mount Maunganui and swim with you. Yeah, maybe. we did promise. That we, we did would do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So thank you very much. Um, that's another show in the bag. Um, keep in touch with us. Send yep. us your greatest run ever. Yep. Uh, or any other feedback. We're and, on dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. Yep, and Dirt Church Radio at all the social media stuff. We're on iTunes, we're on uh, Stitcher and FM Player. You can also download us from the website. Like, share, subscribe, but enjoy. The website is dirtchurchradio.com. Dirtchurchradio uh, Dirt Church all day. All sorts of cool shenanigans going on there. Yeah. So have a look there and catch us next week. I'm going to go run and be joyous. I think we should say thank you to our sponsors, the Zero Drop Alt. Uh, overlords at Ultra because it's been like quite a while since they sent us a legal letter. No, they've been sending us. Have they? Letter. Yeah. I've Have been, you been feeding them to rugby? I've just been lining the rabbit's cage with them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, we won't. We should probably still say thank you to them. Thanks. Thanks. Ultra. We are contractually obligated to thank Ultra for this podcast. Thanks, Ultra, and catch you next week. Kakite. Thanks, rugby. <laughs>